Welcome to the IBCD podcast, and here we are in beautiful Southern California, which for those of us who live in North Carolina seems like a pretty nice place. And we have Bob and Anne-Marie Galdsworth. I'm Jim Neuheiser, and we're with our dear friend, Elise Fitzpatrick. So welcome, Elise. Thanks. Glad to be here. The one thing that I wanted to bring out since Elise and I go way, way back, and if you look at it, you think as long as we've known each other, probably like in elementary school or something. Yes. But when did you first get involved with IBCD, which was then something else? Yes, it uh, was 1985. Wow. Yes, yeah, so I wanted to, this is a sort of interesting story, I wanted to get tr uh, trained to be a psychologist because I didn't know anything else. And my pastor at the time said, no, I've heard about this place in San Diego. You should go there. You've got kids. You don't want to go to college. And so um, after sort of kicking and screaming a little bit, I went down and uh, went, started training in biblical counseling in 1985. Uh, and then, you know, at that point, you had to go down every Wednesday to take the intro class and then stay all day and do the um, observation at night. So every Wednesday, I was in San Diego. Going down to San Diego? Yeah. And who was teaching you? Uh, Skip, George Scipione. Okay. Yes. And I think he got here in 1982. Yes. To begin IBCD. And so how did that impact you in some of those early mm. classes 33 years ago? It was pretty amazing, actually, because I had, I would say that I had studied the Bible really from the time I had become a Christian. I had gone immediately to Bible college. And so I became a Christian in 1971. I got a degree from Bible college uh, four years later. Um, but I hadn't really seen the connection that biblical counseling makes between daily living and the Bible. I mean, I, I, I think I knew scripture. I certainly knew stories. Uh, I certainly... Uh, believed that the Bible was God's word, but I didn't have any idea how the Bible actually intersected with my daily life. Mm. And that's what those classes did for me. It was almost like I remember telling someone that after I got trained in biblical counseling, it was almost like I had been born again again. You know, it was that kind of a Copernican revolution in the way that I thought as a believer that scripture really did speak to every area of my life. I needed to learn how to read it to find it, but it really did. It, it transformed me, set me on an entirely different trajectory. And in addition to the practical implications of using the Bible and transforming life, did it shake your theology at all? Or do you think well, that was pretty yeah. well established? <laughs> well, uh, yes. Well, because at that point with Skip, Skip was uh, very reformed. And I think as far as my soteriology was concerned, I, I had sort of been reformed without knowing it because I knew that when I became a Christian, it wasn't me going to search for God, that God came and saved me. And that was so obvious to me. Um, because I had lived one kind of life 
And then all of a sudden, I'm living another kind of life. And so that was the Lord, and I knew that. But I used to come home from those classes, and I would say, because the seminary students were in those classes as well, and I would say, these guys have answers to questions I've never even thought of. Well, they had, they had a, uh, a firm systematics, um, a um, concise systematics, which I had never even thought of. And did you go through the process of getting, back then it was CCEF West. Yes. Did you go through well, the process? Well, it was actually just CCEF. And then like five or six years later, we became CCEF West. And then years after that, IBCD. Yes. Did you go through the certification process yes. with anybody? I was the first person certified by what is now IBCD. I think I think George Scipione might have been a little bit disappointed that it was me <laughs> and not and not a male seminary student. You can edit that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, think it's great. He'll enjoy that. Um, but yeah, uh, I was the first one that um, was actually certified by CCEF. And actually, we had to figure out how to make some sort of a diploma-looking thing. Right. Right? And well, George was so tough yeah. that nowadays people think of getting ACBC, which used to be NANG, as tough yes. certification. Yeah, it's nothing. But in those days, to get certified by George, you know, like several years later, I got certified. I was probably number two. Yes, I think you probably were. <laughs> you know, like the yes. 1994 or five or something, yes. I finally was able, after getting a doctorate, finally yes. able to get there. Yes. Yeah, he, I, and you know, I, and as time went on, I went to work for uh, CCEF at that time, and I was trying to help them take these classes and give them to people without making them burn a Wednesday for nine weeks in a row. I kept saying, who can do that? And then also to try to make it sort of easier. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they honestly didn't want to make it easier. When I say they, you know, by that time, Andy Peterson was there and other people. And they, they wanted to really control. They wanted quality control. And um, so... George is an Orthodox Presbyterian. Yes, he is. And quality <laughs> and precision are extremely important. Yes. Uh, when the Baptists took over, we started pumping them out a little faster. <laughs> and uh, when Craig yes. became the operations director and did the certificates in care and discipleship, we maybe fit the niche that you tried 30 years earlier. I did, you know, and I can remember uh, I had to talk them into, instead of doing the classes on Wednesday all day, do it three weekends in a row, mm -hmm. Friday night and Saturday. And then if they wanted to do observation, people could come down and do that, but they could take the information in a way that you wouldn't have to give up your job to do. Right. Yeah. And now the model you're describing, I don't know if you're the originator, but now that's being used by ACBC on the road, it's being used by Faith and Lafayette widely, so it seems to have been a good model for a lot of people to get their training. Well, I, you know, training in biblical counseling is itself uh, rigorous. It's challenging uh, to make it also difficult um, schedule-wise. There's no reason to do that. And my experience has been there's no easy way to schedule it. 
because when you have the weekend thing, you've got this fire hose blasting at you for a day and a half. And right. People start glazing over. So it's just, it's a lot of work. It is. To go through all that. And what was really good, because I, I have tried to talk any number of people, women in particular, to get certified, to uh, get at that point NANC certification. And, you know, yes, you should take the classes, but the thing that I always thought was so helpful was to do the tests and then have to do the reading that went along with the testing. My experience is that something like 80% of the people who get counseling are female. And uh, at that point, I kept saying, why are there no female counselors? Why aren't there female uh, ACBC counselors? Why not? What's wrong? What's going on here? What do you think about that, Anne-Marie? Yeah, I'm just sitting here <laughs> thinking, can you speak to, like, it, this is the history of, of biblical counseling and being certified. Where where are we today and where do we need to go um, to get more women? Because I agree, I'm probably 90% of the counselees are women in the church. So Right, and um, I think we're getting to where we need to be. Uh, we need to have women trainers. And that's, that's a hobby <laughs> horse of mine, that there should be women trainers, women training women to do counseling of women. And the more we do that, the more women that other women can see who are actually being used and actually have a degree that they have paid for and actually can earn money with their degree. I thought I had it solved to that last part. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go, right? But, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you're keeping up with all those things, but ACBC actually has now created a situation where women participate helping the fellows supervise That's other women. marvelous. And uh, I know at RTS where I'm teaching now, actually they've hired Caroline part-time to work with the women students. And marie has been doing that, and she just graduated from RTS as well and so was working with me to... Uh, work with some of the ladies. So I completely agree. And it's it's been a challenge to do it in a way that's decently in an order for all the people involved. I think that what was really, why people were hesitant was because the model was that the pastors should be doing the lion's share of the counseling. And while I don't disagree that pastors should be counseling, um, the kind of long-term cross-gender counseling that goes on really needs to not be done with a male and a female closeted away, talking about the issues of their heart. It's just, it's just, it's just a setup for problems. Well, Elise, yes. that is something on which you and I really agree. <laughs> we won't talk about the things we don't necessarily agree about, but that we completely agree. And I'm I am thrilled to see women getting trained yes. and counseling other women. And as you probably know about me, that I won't do that. Right. And I'm being pretty insistent with my students that they won't do it either. Right. I mean, if a, if a pastor is in a situation where he doesn't have any females who can counsel, then there at least needs to be a pastor or elders' wives or someone in that room with them. I mean, we've had so much bad fruit come out of women having to go and talk to males. And I, I don't mean this bad, but to talk to them about things that actually they need to be talking to other women about. Mm. 
Um, and our hearts have been broken yes. when these principles haven't been followed. Right, exactly. Right, and part of the reason, too, when we talk about counseling men to women, we, as women, can see what that other woman is either maybe being manipulative about or even lying. I mean, we know how we act as women. So yes. when we're acting in front of another woman, we can pick up on that, yes. I think, more than a man can. And we can yes. be an advocate for the man in that situation yes. when we're counseling. So, And also, and uh, along those same lines, be an advocate for the women. Yes, both ways. Be, I, I exactly. mean, both ways. Because right. uh, if you take a woman who says that some elder is acting inappropriately toward her and you put her in a room with the group of elders and no woman advocate there, there's something significantly wrong with that. She won't speak honestly. It's intimidating. It's awful. I think that's also true in marriage counseling. Yes. Where you have a pastor and a husband and the wife and do y'all, Bob, do y'all counsel together sometimes you and Andrew? Yes, yes, we do. And I, um, I find it very helpful uh, to have Anne-Marie there. She sees things both in the woman and the man that I miss. I see mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, she misses. And then we can come back together and we can talk mm-hmm. about, okay, what do you see? What are their uh, dispositions? Mm-hmm. Um, what are they saying? What's underneath what they're saying? Mm-hmm. And it's very helpful to uh, be able to do that with her. I think women pick up on communication clues that a lot of guys, not all guys, miss. Right. And, you know, part of that has to do that. That's really played out in the college, in colleges, because uh, in linguistics courses and majors, it's it's like 80 or 90 percent. And I may be wrong about those percentages, but a very high percentage of females. They understand nuance and in language. I'm very grateful to God for our years of friendship and all you've done for us and for IBCD over the years. And uh, I don't know. I, w- I won't. I mean, you've probably been to thirty-ish of these conferences now. Well, I've been to every one since 1985. We were holding them at Point Loma Nazarene, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember? Uh, yes. And I, I told my friends, "You got to come and hear this. You've never heard anything like this in your life." And uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, we can close on that note, but I'm just in awe just to kind of hear the history um, and, and still resonating, you know, what you said about the linkage between Scripture and life. And that's mm-hmm. really what took me and caught me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm only about 10 years into this. You have 30 plus years. Maybe we can close with this one question. You know, if you go back 30 years to now, maybe there is there one thing that you could say um, – in the biblical counseling arena, this has changed for the positive, you know, or this has, you know, as you, as you think about the growth of the biblical counseling yeah, movement, yeah. maybe there's one thing out there that you could just close it, with. It really has grown, and I think we've thrown doors open rather than trying to keep them closed. And then also, I think there was, and maybe it was just my perception, there was a sort of a in your faceness. <laughs> that uh, I don't see anymore. And I understand that when you're first starting a movement, you have to be a trailblazer. You almost have to be in your face. That, that trail's been blazed. And now people can be much more kind, much more patient, uh, much more winsome. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that I'm seeing that I'm really, 
really happy about. And also much more open to the thought that maybe we don't really understand everything we thought we understood. We keep learning. And, and we keep learning. To J. Adams' credit, when he wrote Competent to Counsel almost 50 years ago, mm-hmm. he said over and over again, I'm just starting something and others are yes. going to come behind me. You're going to make lots of changes and that's good and necessary. Sometimes he fought it once it really happened, but <laughs> he, uh, he, I think it was sincerely. I mean, actually, I saw Jay a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and how He's is he? He's near us. He is a very healthy 89-year-old good. and a delight to be with, and right. him and Betty Jane, and very thankful for them. And I'm also appreciative how you and others have helped us in our movement to see that the gospel is the foundation for those changes and applications, and I fully affirm that, mm-hmm. that... Uh, it's in union with Christ and in light of all that he's done for us is what motivates us to want to serve and to please him. And you've helped me understand that better. And I'm thankful for that. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. So that will wrap up with, for me anyway, has been a delightful time with Elise and Bob and Anne-Marie. Yes, thank you very much. So Cheers. this thank is you. the IBCD podcast. We hope that this has been a blessing to you and that you'll tune in again. Thanks for listening to the IBCD podcast. While we aim to provide these resources for free, there are always ongoing costs to produce and distribute our material. If you've benefited from our resource library, we ask that you consider supporting IBCD financially. Even the smallest gift helps to maintain and grow our library.